0: I love the bell. Make no mistake, I love the bell. Yes. Ship's bell in here. Ding, ding. Oh, dude, I would would be all about it. Ship's bell. Ship's bell. And then sleigh bells? It's Christmas time. We need sleigh bells. All about the bells. We could be here with bells on. Oh, wait. Oh. I don't know. Not nearly as good as Heather's earlier. That was, yeah. All right. Uh, Well, let's jump in. Good morning, everyone. Hi. (laughs) Uh, Well, I I know. Welcome to December, everybody. Um, Well, let's uh, open our Bibles to Psalm 90. We'll start with Psalm 90 this morning, and then we'll we'll pray, and then we'll jump into our announcements. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death, like they are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants. May your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this beautiful Sunday. Thank you for getting to gather together. Whether it's here or online, Lord, oh, we feel so scattered and unsettled. Lord, I, everyone just seems really stressed. Father, it's amazing to me how people are are getting by just fine, but really they're they're stressed, they're hurting, and they're so strong. Father, we just, Lord, I'm, I'm desperately seeking your comfort in your face as we come close to celebrating the birth of your Son, Father. That we would we would get a break and that we'd be filled with joy that the spirit of your son who loved us so much would fill our land right now when we so desperately need it, Father. We've got your word open in front of us. We're going to jump in here, Lord. And we're asking that you, uh, that you open your heart, that you open your mind, that you open your wisdom to us that when we get done here today that we're a little closer to you. We ask all that in the loving name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so, uh, real quick, like, uh, food bank, um, is next weekend, so, uh, it's funny, you have multiple calls throughout the week, um, but, uh, we actually have a couple of extra things that are going to be in this, uh, month's food bank, um, XL Energy is giving us some, uh, bags with, like, light bulbs, energy saving stuff for us to be able to give away, um, so we're supposed to get that here, hopefully, um, uh, several cases, like, 20 cases of these. These bags to give away, so we'll have that. So, you know, just in case, last Sunday when I, you know, left and left you guys to do 150 deliveries, um, wasn't enough. I went ahead and just told Excel to bring, you know, the cases. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) but anyway, the point is that um, there's a lot of people that are are hurting right now, and we can't um, we can't grow weary in serving i um, still going to have a food bank this month. It's next week. We got Friday and, and Saturday. And um, let's, whatever we need to do, let's be re-energized. Let's be refocused on, on that ministry coming up uh, for next week. Um, Bible studies were um, still kind of hit and miss as um, people are getting over the, the flus and the, the work stuff and, and all of that. So, Um, Just see uh, Miss Rhonda or uh, Vernon. Obviously, he's not here this Sunday. Or um, uh, you know, when Mike and I we figure out when we can get back to the Sunday studies, we will we will certainly do that. Um, We still need another volunteer for the kids ministry, so um, please see Miss Elizabeth um, if you would like to uh, to volunteer there. We certainly would would appreciate it. Um, My Aunt Peggy isn't here today, but it was her birthday yesterday, (laughs) so I, I guess we won't sing. I know you guys are heartbroken that I'm not going to sing. (laughs) You're like, whew, dodge that bullet. (laughs) Thank you, Aunt Peggy, for not coming. All right. Um, Okay, so I I do have a a serious note to talk about um, real quick. Like, and and Brooke is going to come up here because she's much smarter than I am. If you, you know, have not ever had a chance to talk with her, you should do that because um, she's a lot, lot smarter than I am. Um, So we kind of have to give a a general warning to the church. Uh, So we had someone that came to church last Sunday who was COVID positive. Um, We're not 100% sure, you know, because what happened was they were asymptomatic, they had um, gotten over it, they had their clear time, and so they thought they were fine to come back to church, and then they got sick again. So their doctor isn't sure, they aren't sure, but they have contacted individually the people that they had close contact with who needed to isolate um, so they have done their notifications like they were supposed to. So this is a general, hey, guess what? It's, it's finally our turn. We finally had somebody um, who came into our building that, that had been COVID positive. So it's just a good reminder for us um, that we need to keep up. We, you know, need to wear our masks. We need to wash our hands. We need to um, have good practices. The, the de- disease is still out there. It hasn't gone away, unfortunately. We would like to be able to say that it has, but it hasn't. So does anybody have any questions? Does, what, baby? Yes, oh, okay. <laughs>
1: Make sure, because I do think that it is important for everybody to know when you have so we can just monitor ourselves and monitor our symptoms and make sure we
0: stay as healthy as we can. But I just wanted to offer up an opinion. I'm not going to stand up here and preach at you. That's my job. That's your job. That I do live it every day, and I'm here if anybody has any questions. Okay. Anyone? Anyone? No? Going once? Going twice? All right, so we are in Luke 16, uh, verses 1 through 15 again. Like, didn't we do this last week? We did do this last week. We're doing it again. Um, all right, so Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 15, please. Um, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are with the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal, into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? The thing is, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts, and what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So the keys for today. that this whole, this whole thing is about giving and accounting, is taking an account. It's kind of a, a good time to do this. We're coming to the end of the year. We're coming to, up to, to New Year. It's always the time we want to make new resolutions. When, when Spurgeon actually gave this message, it was on New Year's Eve. It was uh, um, one of the, the messages that I, I used uh, for studying this week. Um, he gave it at the, the very start of the new year. But the idea is to take a moment... And to take an account, take an account of our days, take an account of our years, and to see how we're doing, to give ourselves kind of a a checkup. So in this, we're going to do a few things. We're going to look, first of all, at the boss, at the manager, at God. Then we're going to look at what we must be accountable for, what we must account for in our ledger. Those are our time, our talent, our resources, and then our people, our team. So the first part, we're going to look at God. We're going to look at God's character. And in this example, God is portrayed as an owner, a master, a boss. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, that we can't know God completely. We can't know him exhaustively. We are finite beings. He is infinite. We are, you know, just down here, our, our little selves. And even when we get to the next world, we won't know him exhaustively. So the important thing is that what we do know about God, what we do learn about God, should be the truth. That's the whole point, is when we say, all right, we're going to try and get to know God better, we want to know true things. So we're going to dive heavily into Scripture, as we usually do, to try and get a good foundation. And so in this, you know, what I, what I was trying to think about, how, how to frame this message, I was trying to figure out a good way to, uh, to bring this, this kind of home, and it struck me, there's some really funny places where you can find good in the world, and I mean that Amazingly ridiculous places. In this particular case, I have things at my house that are amazingly good. One of them is gravel. The other one is the garage door. They are amazing forces for good in my house. You have no idea. See, because when the gravel and the garage door speak at my house, there's like this wave of goodness that crashes over our house. It's like a tidal wave. Because you see... Every evening at about, you know, five or six o'clock, my wife's tires hit the gravel driveway, and she hits the garage door opener. And it's incredible what suddenly happens. Suddenly, video games get turned off. Dishes find the sink or the dishwasher. Homework get started. Things quickly get shoved in closets or, or bedrooms. The dogs get fed. Laundry suddenly finds a home. It's it's not necessarily put away. Let's not get carried away here. But certainly moved closer to its final destination. See, the thing is that she's the one who actually loves and actually cares for our kids. She fixes the meals and knows what's in their closets. When when I'm in charge, it's, you know, the teachers probably are like, Oh, we we know. We know when, when the kids were left with you, Phil. We know what they look like. She knows them inside and out, and she not only loves them, she actually likes them. But the thing is, the, the kids know that when mom gets home, that all the things they were supposed to have done, that they, they should have been done by now, and that if they're not done, that mom's going to have a few words for them. And the thing is that the things that she asks them, asks them to do, they're not mean, they're not cruel. When we get into this verse, it's, it's easy for us to get, you know, feeling guilty, to beat ourselves up, to be like, oh, you know, especially I am going to talk about the wrath of God. It's easy for us to get down on this subject. But that's not the point. See, mom loves us. She loves us greatly. And the things that she asks us to do are for our good. And not just for our good, but for the good of those around us, for the good of our household. They're things that are meant to make us good, healthy people to help maintain our home. And none of them are arbitrary or just to, to lord over, to beat down, or to demean. It's because she loves them through and through. And she wants the best for them all of the time. And she cares for their safety, their health, and their well-being. Right? The tasks that they're assigned, school and homework, it's important so they can go out into the world and make their way successfully. Eating right, not overdoing it on snacks. Why? Because a balanced diet is important for their health and for their growth. Brush your teeth. Being neat and tidy, being a good roommate. It's good for their mental health, for their physical health, and for their relationships, so that they know how to be a good roommate when they get out in the world. Don't leave things lying around. Pick up after yourself. Do the dishes. Do your chores. Contribute. See, the truth is, when mom gets home, She's not really looking forward to having to discipline the kids. It really would be best if it was done before she got there. She's looking forward to spending time with the family, to enjoying a meal, to relaxing. She's had a hard day. But she isn't willing to forsake her responsibilities as a mom. She's not willing to let that slack to the kids' harm. She's not going to let them get harmed. Not on her watch. So... Why the terror? Why the mad scramble? Because we were slacking, right? (laughs) That's why. Because we weren't doing what they were supposed to do. The list, if it was done, there would be no fear, no mad scramble. You see, mom is not the problem, and the list is not the problem. Mom is not a bad person. Nothing she asked for is unreasonable. The fear is the reckoning of what we were supposed to do versus what we did do. So in that light, that's how we're going to look at things when we talk about, talk about the wrath of God it is like that because it is exactly like that. See, there are things that we do, things that we can do that are good. And there are things that we do or things that we can do that are bad. If you would open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, it's the Ten Commandments. It's a good list. And it starts with a premise that good and evil exist, that there are good things and there are evil things in this world, and there are good things that we can do. What's interesting about it, we talk about this, we talk about the idea of judgment and taking into account of our our actions, that we need to keep a perspective. The thing is that God's wrath, especially when we talk about this accounting, when we talk about all of this stuff, it's terrifying when it's leveled at us. When God's judgment is coming at us, when we know that we haven't done what we were supposed to do, when we know that we've been the one lying, cheating, stealing, right? There's, there's no one who's more afraid to look at the books than the person who hasn't been wise with what they've been charged with, right? You never want to give an accounting when you know that the numbers are wrong or when you know that you've been lying. But the thing is that, especially right now, how many of you guys think that things are going really great and that the world is just that everything's fair, that the good are being taken care of and that the evil are are being punished. Anybody think, no, there's not a single hand up. So when we think about, I was reading the the news, I I do that, I I still do it, I don't know why, but it was horrifying. There was um, a man was found, he was running down the street in just his underwear and it turns out he had escaped from a home in Houston that had over 26 adults who had been kidnapped. They were being held by human traffickers in this house. And they have no idea that the human traffickers were gone by the time the the police got there. We've been um, watching the um, long way down and long way Round, the Ewan McGregor motorcycle specials where they they go around the world and they visit some places with UNICEF. It's amazing that they partnered with UNICEF for the things, but it brings to mind things like the the genocides in, in Bosnia and Rwanda, Tibet, Russia, China, or what about America, the the Trail of Tears, or even our own internment camps after and during World War II. I was thinking about drunk drivers who kill and injure and maim and then who flee the country and never face persecution. Or, more personally, thieves who who come and steal in the night. I I was um, thinking about when I was was much younger, my my buddy and I, I worked construction for a long time, and so I always kept my tools in my truck. I needed them for work. A buddy of mine, we went down to a salvage yard. I needed some parts for my Jeep. Came back out, and people had broken the lock on, on my door and taken my tools. I had to go out, and we, had, we didn't have the money, but I had to go out and buy new tools so I could go to work on Monday. The police said, okay, great, you know, we have no idea. You know, if they're, they're marked, so maybe if they show up somewhere, maybe. Never got one of those things back. All of those people, all of them, did not escape justice. Not one of them. All of them will give an accounting before God. They will stand before God and give an accounting for what they have done. Just like each and every one of us. Thing is that God by nature cannot tolerate evil and sin. Cannot. There is justice. Make no mistake. It may be delayed. It may not be in our time. But there is justice. Habakkuk 1.13 says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. The thing is, the Lord is sovereign. He is the ruler. He is the the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the creator of the universe. He is sovereign in his judgment. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 7 through 10 say, I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but pot shards. Among the pot shards on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? See, God's wrath and his judgment is good, And it is righteous. It is right standing. It is right. When we think about what is right and what is wrong, His judgment is right. Psalm chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays His wrath every day. See, being under God's wrath is not pleasant. I was if you guys get a chance to do uh, Secret Church 6 with David Platt, um, it's all about Easter, and we'll talk about more about um, some of this stuff as we, we get closer. But it's a great listen if you need a podcast to listen to. He's put all of the secret churches on there. But one of the things we talk about is is when Jesus is on the cross. Remember, when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he prays to God, and he says, Father, take this, this cup from me. And then, you know, when he's on the cross, his last words are, it is finished. He's talking about... The foaming cup of God's wrath. That's how it's described throughout the Bible, is a foaming cup of God's wrath. The righteous judgment that is earned by all the evil actions on the earth. And Jesus took and he drank it all down, down to the very last drop. And he said, it is finished. All of the wrongs. It's, it's crazy to me. It's something that we need to learn about the nature of our world, that We are so closely tied to the earth, and we sense it, we feel it when we stand out in nature, when we look at a sunset, when we see a sunrise, when we stand at a still mountain lake, when we listen to the birds or the trees. We feel our connection with nature. We feel it. And the thing is that just like when Adam and Eve, when they first sinned, why all creation fell, we're all tied together. And that right and wrong, it cries out to God from the very earth. When he talks about the earth being in labor pains, groaning, those right and those wrong actions, that cup of God's wrath, it actually twists and turns and makes the earth itself actually moan. All of creation groans under the strain. That's incredible that we are that intrinsically tied. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 3 through 13 say, I have commanded those I prepared for battle. I have summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath. Those who rejoice in my triumph, listen, a noise on the mountains, like that of a great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms, like nations massing together. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens. The Lord and the weapons of his wrath to destroy the whole country. Wail, for the the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure gold, more rare than gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Ezekiel chapter 5, verses 8 through 13 say, "'Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. "'I myself am against you, Jerusalem, "'and I will inflict inflict punishment on you "'in the sight of nations.'" Because of all your detestable idols, I will do to you what I have never done before and will never do again. Therefore, in your midst, parents will eat their children, the children will eat their parents. I will inflict punishment on you and will scatter all your survivors to the winds. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your vile images and detestable practices, I myself will shave you. I will not look on you with pity or spare you. A third of your people will die of the plague or perish by famine inside you. A third of your people will die by the sword outside your walls, and a third I will scatter to the winds and pursue with drawn sword. Then my anger will cease and my wrath against them will subside, and I will be avenged. And when I have spent my wrath on them, they will know that I, the Lord, have spoken in my zeal. See, when we stand here, we have to make an understanding, and that is that God hates sin, God hates evil, and he hates Sinners. You say, wait a minute, Phil. Wait, 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 just a moment. I've heard you say, hate the sin, love the sinner. I've heard you say that. What happened to that? I love this quote from David Platt. It says the Bible happened to that. That's what happened to that. See, the thing is we say that, and I and I and I mean it because what we don't want to do is we don't want to be a church that excludes people, that judges people. Because we know that we're sinners. And so if somebody comes in the door, I don't want them to go, I don't want us to look down on someone or to reject someone because they sin or look or think or act differently than we do. Whatever it is that's in their life, I want them to feel welcome when they walk through the door here, wherever they've come from. If they can draw a breath, the salvation of the Lord is for them. So when we say, hate the sin, love the sinner, that's what we're talking about, is accepting everyone because we know where we are. Saying, buddy, I'm down here on the floor. If you want to join me on your knees, you're more than welcome to. We're all in the same place, all on the on the same level. But we cannot as an individual think that we can live a life of sin, that we can live a life of evil, that we can live a life without goodness, and that we will still be welcomed into God's grace. That's not what the Bible says. And I would be lying to you if I said that. If I said you could continue on in a life that, of debauchery and still make it, the answer is no. That's not what the Bible says. That would not be true. Jeremiah chapter 44, verses 4 through 5 say, Again and again, I sent my servants the prophets who said, Do not do this detestable thing that I hate. But they did not listen or pay attention. They did not turn from their wickedness or stop burning incense to other gods. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 35 through 42, it says, Therefore, this one's really harsh, by the way. You prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. "'Because you poured out your lust and exposed your naked body and your promised duty with your lovers, "'and because all of your detestable idols, and because you gave them your children's blood, "'therefore I am going to gather all your lovers with whom you found pleasure, "'those you loved as well as those you hated. "'I will gather them against you from all around and will strip you in front of them, "'and they will see you stark naked. "'I will sentence you to the punishment of women who commit adultery and who shed blood. "'I will bring on you the blood vengeance of my wrath and jealous anger.'" Then I will deliver you into the hands of your lovers, and they will tear down your mounds and destroy your lofty shrines. They will strip you of your clothes and take your fine jewelry and leave you stark naked. They will bring a mob against you who will stone you and hack you to pieces with their swords. They will burn down your houses and inflict punishment on you in the sight of many women. I will put a stop to your prostitution. You will no longer pay your lovers. Then my wrath against you will subside, and my jealous anger will turn away from you. I will be calm and no longer angry. Psalm chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. Psalm chapter 11, verses 4-7. through 7. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. So, any questions about how God feels? Anyone? (laughs) I I wish you would use some strong language. (sighs) Breaks your heart, though, that the ultimate fate of those that don't turn from their sin condemnation. That's funny. Um, I, we had this conversation not, not too long ago, and um, I really, I, I hope I am wrong about this. There's lots of different theories about what happens after we die. Um, and I'm a, I, I believe in internal condemnation. I really hope that I am wrong. I, I'll read you some passages here, but the thought that there are millions, billions of our fellow human beings who will spend eternity not just a day not just a month not just a year burning in torment that anyone any one single person let alone billions of people might face that fate that's absolutely horrifying but the thing is there's this when we talk about god and nature see in genesis when god says we are made in his image there's there's something special there he doesn't say that lightly and humans are a special in creation. We're, we're oddly so. We are oddly special in creation. We're different from the angels. We're different from the animals. If we were to go back to, to Genesis chapters 1 through 3, it's okay. I mean, God sheds animal blood, not only for our, uh, for our sustenance, for us to eat. I shouldn't use those words if I can't say them. God gave us dominion over the earth, and then he commanded us to subdue it. And God shed animal blood to clothe Adam and Eve. And then God listed clean and unclean animals for us to eat, for us to sacrifice. Think about Cain and Abel. They were farmers and ranchers, both of them. And God does not require justice for the death of the deer or the antelope. Even when you like steal or break the law, you're stealing somebody's vegetables. That does not require death. But when there's murder, when a human life is taken. Something happens. We talk about, it, God says, and if we go back to Genesis, it says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the earth. Isn't that an amazing statement? That nature actually cries out to God with the injustice that's been happened, That, that this precious life has been wrongly taken. And that the blood cries out to God. That's a scary thought. It's absolutely terrifying when you think about the millions of people who have been killed wrongly. Just, it's absolutely terrifying. But the ultimate fate, if we flip over to, to, to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 through 8 say, It is done. I hope that they are simply destroyed, that they don't spend eternity burning in a, in a pit, in a lake of fire. But I, I, don't, I don't think I'm wrong. It's funny that we have this parable, and then Jesus illustrates it immediately after with another parable to give us, to, just to drive it home. If you've got your Bibles, are open to just the next part there in, in Luke sixteen nineteen through 31. It's just to illustrate His point of this accounting. says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat from what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Okay. See, we've examined those things about God that God is righteous, that evil and sin cannot exist in the presence of God, that God hates sin and he hates sinners, that he is just and that his wrath is poured out on those who commit evil. The thing is that when we talk about this counting, it's not just for believers, it's for unbelievers. They will all be held accountable by God for their actions. And now we get off into the part where we talk about my opinion It's just my opinion, but I think that God holds believers accountable in this world so that he does not have to hold them accountable in the next. When you see things like people that, that, you know, fall from grace or have bad things happen to them, sometimes, and these are just general ideas because sometimes, you know, God sends the rain on on the just and the unjust alike. But sometimes it's to bring people back to him. When we think about the the parable of the, the prodigal son, That son was brought low so that he could be brought back. Same thing happens sometimes to believers. We're going to give a couple of examples of that. But like I say, it's just my opinion. I think God holds believers accountable in this world so that he doesn't have to in the next. I think he does the same thing for nations. I think he holds nations accountable here because obviously nations are not eternal. So nations that, that turn from God, he punishes in this world and hopefully gets them to turn back. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, and this is a, the story of, of Eli, and uh, Eli is, a, is a, 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 serving at the temple, and uh, he's got these two sons, and these two sons are, are bad guys. They, um, if you read back a couple of chapters, what they keep on doing is uh, taking people's sacrifices. They, they um, take the best part of their sacrifices. They're um, sleeping around with people. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff, and Eli is, is letting this happen. Remember that, that Eli is a priest. He's a servant of God. He's one of the Levites. He says, Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age. And you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas? They will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house, and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead. Appoint me to someone priestly office so I can have food to eat. See, Eli was a believer, a saved guy. He believed in God. But he was held to account, he was stripped of his position. His two sons died. And if we read a little bit further, the Ark of the Covenant was actually carried off by the Philistines. That's a terrible, terrible reckoning. But still better than eternal condemnation. Think about David. If we were to flip over to to 2 Samuel chapter 12, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that when we get to heaven, David's going to be there. He's a saved guy. David was called a man after God's own heart. But he's a murderer. And he was held to account in this life for what he did. If we go to Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who would come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. And this is what the Lord said. "'The God of Israel says, "'I anointed you king over Israel, "'and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. "'I gave your master's house to you "'and your master's wives into your arms. "'I gave you all Israel and Judah. "'And if all this had been too little, "'I would have given you even more. "'Why did you despise the word of the Lord "'by doing what is evil in his eyes? "'You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword "'and took his wife to be your own. "'You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. "'Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house.' Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. See, Uriah's blood cried out to the Lord. And God's wrath was poured out, and David was held to account. And that's the warning right there. The warning is maybe you hear mom's tires hitting the gravel. Maybe you think she will still be at work for a while. Regardless, mom will be home soon. And she will want to make sure you have been taking care of yourself and that your chores are done. So like the kids scrambling when they hear the garage door opening, see, back to our scripture, this manager knows that he is going to be stripped of his position. He has done wrong. And he knows it. He knows his master is just, and he has not been a good steward of the things his master has asked him to do. So he desperately tries to settle accounts to win favor because the day of reckoning is near. See, each of us, we have each been given some things that God wants us to account for. Our time, our talent, our provision, and our people. The thing is, I don't want to give the wrong impression. We shouldn't be walking around, you know, only working all the time and glum-faced and, you know, wearing sackcloth and ashes. That's not the point. Recreation isn't bad, and work itself isn't bad. It's how we do it. See, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 20 say, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. There it is. There's the list. See, every second that we have is a gift from God. That's amazing when we read through, we hear about how the Holy Spirit sustains, how Jesus was there at creation, that every single second has been gifted to us. And it's there for our enjoyment. I mean, celebrations are are definitely given to us in the Bible. There's feast times and all of those times. We're not meant to, to spend our whole time in work. Even God took a day of rest. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is we don't want to spend our time in, in evil things. We know what those things are. <laughs> if you go to, to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, it's just another one of those, those examples. But it's, you know, we're talking about the things going on in the church. The, the church at Corinth, man, you know, you feel pretty good about your church once you read about what was going on there. <laughs> but they said, uh, you know, it's good to have those letters that we can read to, to learn not what to do. When we act as though the Holy Spirit is walking with us, because He is, it guides our actions. The next thing we have to account for, not only our time, but our talents. See, each of us has been given talents by God, things that we're good at. If we were to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it lists them out, all the, the different mission talents that we can have. And this is not an exclusive list. It's not the only list, but... It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So let's say your, your talent and your skill is as a builder. The question is, have you used your talent and skill to help God's people? Are the poor sheltered under your roofs that you build? Maybe your talent and skill are, are words and writing. The question is, have you written about God? How many people have heard through the gospel your words? Maybe you're an artist. How many works have you done to show people God's glory, to, to worship God? Spurgeon used the example. I thought it was a pretty fun example to use. He used the example of Napoleon. Think about Napoleon. He was a gifted leader. He was a gifted strategist. And what did he do with his talents? He used it for his own selfish ambition. He used it to to gratify himself. He's a a famous example. But think about if he had taken that a different way, if he had taken that leadership, that, that strategy ability, and he had applied it toward helping people, towards doing good. What an amazing world we would live in if he had applied his talents a different way. I think about all the the actors and and singers and and songwriters that we have. It's crazy when you turn on your TV what you can get on demand. And how very few of those actors and singers and songwriters and producers, this entire machine that we have to generate entertainment, how little of it is used even just to lift up other people. Like it's a little small section let alone to glorify and worship God. I mean, you've got to go to a special place. You can't even find that on, on Netflix or Amazon or any of the main stuff. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that absolutely sad? Think about our ancestors were not like that. Think about how many hymn books that there were written, how many our great composers, the great classical composers, how many of their, their works were dedicated to worshiping God. That's incredible to versus what we have now, how we're spending our talents. <laughs> it made me think it was funny that it would be awesome if in this accounting, if we got to account for other people's actions, wouldn't it? If Jesus said, hey, come sit next to me. The next contestant is coming up. There's Simon Cowell's right there. You sit next to me. We get a judge. But unfortunately, that's not the way it works. Unfortunately, um, we get us to be on the other side. We get to be on the, the judged side, not on the, the part of the judges. See, it's pretty easy for us to, to look at other people. And to judge them and judge their works and judge what they have done with their time and with their talents and how they, their resources and how they could have used them better. But the point is to be introspective, is to think about ourselves. See, because each of us has been given gifts of work to do for the benefit of the world and to worship and to glorify God. The question is, how are we doing? We think about resources. See, especially at Christmas time. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, is that you want to know what you worship, look at your bank statement. See, some people God has given a lot of resources, some little. How we use those resources for the mission and purposes of God is the question. And he doesn't ask for it all. And it's not in the New Testament, but we, you know, we use kind of a rule of thumb of using a a tenth. You know, there's some foundation of that in the the Old Testament, but, you know, it gives you a good, you know, kind of rule of thumb. But that's, you know, nowhere in there does he say, you must, you must. But the idea is, are you giving? Are you giving to the mission of God? God has entrusted you with, with some sort of provision, some sort of resource, whether it's a little or a lot. The question is, what have you done with it? And it's hard, but um, God doesn't care what kind of car you drive or what your house is like or what you're, about your hobby or your recreation. That? That's funny. I like what, um, what Brad Stein said. He said, when you go to give to God and the fear and the trepidation hits, when you don't know about the next paycheck, you put an extra $5 in the plate just to let Satan know that you aren't afraid, like Brad Stein. See, none of the things are necessarily bad unless they're an idol, unless they get in between you and God, unless God's purposes and God's plan and God's mission are being neglected at the expense of our entertainment. See God is concerned with the poor with the widows with the orphans and with those in prison God is concerned with spreading the gospel God is concerned with making sure that we see our brothers and sisters and not only that we see them but that we care for their needs And that leads us to our abs- our last topic We will be accountable for the people in our lives not just our tribe not just our village but the travelers and the strangers Think about the um, parable of the, the Good Samaritan. Isn't it incredible that God has put his most precious creation, we were talking about this just a little bit ago, humans are unique and they are special in God's eyes. And he has put that in our care. He has said, look out for your brothers and sisters. Be a mom, be a dad, be an aunt, be an uncle, be a friend, be a co-worker, be a boss, be an employee. I put these people in your life, in your care. What an amazing gift. I went back and I read the the Greatest Commandment. Again, I know, I read it every week, but it was odd. Not a single material thing was mentioned. He said, love me and love your neighbors. And then he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Love God and love the people I give you. And again, again, Don't make it complicated. Don't make it about guilt. See, the thing we go to, right, is that next thing is, oh, I've done so horrible. We don't want to waste our lives in guilt and anger and sadness and regret. That, That is not the point. We want to have a healthy fear and respect for the Lord, yes. But I was thinking that this is the best thing I could come up with. You can, you know, tell me if it's good or bad. But I used to coach uh, baseball poorly. I'm the losingest coach in in Fruta um, history. But coaching baseball, I learned something, and that is that losing is as much of a habit as winning is a habit. And I would get kids out there, and they they would miss the ball. You know, we'd be throwing grounders, we'd be doing fly balls, and they would miss the ball. And they would go, oh, they'd be so mad. And that would cause them to miss the next ball and the next ball. And the next thing you know, their whole mindset is, I'm not going to try, or I don't even know why I'm out here. I'm just going to miss. That becomes their habit, is missing the ball. And I I, I would, you know, beg and plead, and and we, we would try and do like little short exercises, get them success, get them used to having success. I would tell the kids, literally, wipe it off, shake it off, do something, so that mentally you're ready to get the next ball, so that winning becomes your habit, so that you know that you can succeed. See, reality doesn't change. Either you catch the ball or you don't catch the ball. Either you win the game or you lose the game. That's reality. Reality doesn't change. Either you did the right thing yesterday or you didn't. Either the books look good, or they don't. But the question is, what do the books look like after today, after tomorrow, after the next day? See, if the, looks, if the books look bad, you can't go back and you, you can't change it. You can't fudge the books. He's going to know. I tried. If you had a party over the weekend and the coffee table is broken and there's a hole in the wall by the stairs and the trash can is full of beer bottles and there's a dent in mom's car, she's going to find out, just FYI. But you can do the math now before it is too late with the purpose of learning from the errors and getting the next one. With the purpose of creating a habit of winning. And see, God is not rooting for you to fail. He is rooting for you like mom is rooting for you, for you to make the play. See, and now is the chance. Now is the time to get on your knees before God and to have that accounting, to talk through the good and the bad. We can go to the cross on our knees together with the purpose of wiping the red out of the ledger and making December 7th, 2020, a black day in the books, a day to be proud of. Amen? We'll close with Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all ye families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts worship the lord in the splendor of his holiness tremble before him all the earth see among the nations the lord reigns the world is firmly established it cannot be moved he will judge the people with equity let the heavens rejoice let the earth be glad let the sea resound and all that is in it let the fields be jubilant everything in them let all of the trees of the forest sing for joy let all creation rejoice before the lord for he comes he comes to judge the earth he will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. Amen. Father, Lord, we thank You for this time together. Lord, we got this week coming up. Lord, um, we're thankful for this Christmas time. We're thankful for time together with family and friends. And Lord, we're also a little sad because there's some people we can't get together with. There are some celebrations that are being canceled. There are some things that we just aren't going to be able to do this year. And I guess... In many ways, that makes them more precious. But maybe we get a little bit of a break from all the hecticness. I don't know, Lord, but I—I I just know that I see people who are are frantic and stressed and and worried and hurting, and I lift them up to you, Father. I know that you hear their suffering, and I—I I know that you um, that you don't tolerate it, Father. So just ask that you come close. That as your light shines, that those things are. Are taken away and that as we focus on you that we get goodness and mercy and grace and joy and those things so that's what we're asking for that's what we're seeking as we go into this week Lord that we see the people that you have trusted in our care that we are wise in how we apply our resources and our time and our talents to help those people around us that at the end of this week that we can stand before you and that you would say that we were good and faithful servants Father Lord, there's some people I would lift up to you. Recovering from surgery and got cancer and tests coming up this week, and little boy Jalen, who's in a brain rehab center in Canada. And Father, I don't know if he gets to go home. And I know that you love him, I know that you love his family, and I. I just lift them up to you for healing and for comfort, Father. Father, I lift up members that can't be here right now, that surgeries and illness and, and falls and all those things that keep folks away, that they'd be comforted a lot. And man, if there's something they need, Father, that put it on our hearts, that we would get out to them. Lift up our valley to you, Father, that, that they would be, filled with joy this Christmas season. I lift up our children to you that through school and kids and and, and friends and all of those things that they would be kept safe and healthy and that they would know you, Father, that you would be the loudest voice that they hear. Father, we um, lift up our church to you. We are seeking to be a a God-filled, spirit-led church. If there's things that are wrong here, Father, please hold us to account now. Hold us to account so that we can Get on the right path, Father. Let us see our iniquities. Let us see where we are falling short, so that we can correct those things. Father, we just we are seeking to be a church that is about your business, that is your hands and feet. Send off, send us off in that direction, please, Father. Amen. Miss Shannon, I, I believe we have stuff next door, that, so please make a, a pass through. She's the, uh, she's teaching the, the fourth through fifth, so. Um, Ms. Barb isn't here, but Ms. is here, but I think there's stuff next door, so please make sure you make a pass through the orange room. Um, oh, before uh, you go, um, we got food bank next weekend, and then um, after church on Sunday, we'll need to, some help, some people to stay and help move the chairs out of the sanctuary. We're having the carpets cleaned for, for Christmas, um, so if we can just kind of think about that, if we could stay for 15, 20 minutes after church next Sunday um, to move the, the chairs out um, so the carpet cleaners can, can come in and do their work, All right? Thank you guys very much. Have a great week.